You've seen the best. You've seen the worst. Now here's the rest of both worlds. I'm Gayfesh, and a cook's only as good as his ingredients. And I'm Ari. And my god, it's full of stars. And today we will be discussing the Star Trek The Next Generation episodes The Royale and Times Squared. But first we have a very special treat for Ari, because... (laughs) I know how much you love Kamala Khan, or Kamala Khan, I don't know which way it's pronounced, and the Miss Marvel trailer just dropped, so... uh, It did, it did, and it's, it's, um, man, I got so excited. I think I've watched it like five or six times. Um, I've had blinding lights stuck in my head for a week and a half or whatever since it came out, and I've just been, I mean, it looks amazing. It looks like they're keeping the spirit of the books, they're keeping all of her Muslim, you know, heritage in there. I even... Even this last time I watched it right before we were recording, I saw that they showed the caravan, you know, from her backstory. Like, I just I I'm so excited. Like, I've heard some people complaining that it's not going to be from Terrigen gas like it is in the comics. Who cares about the Inhumans? Who like, cares? <laughs> that was something Ike Perlmutter was pushing behind the scenes because they didn't have the film rights to X-Men. So they're like, we need another way to just give people powers. Give people powers. Yeah. And it always never felt like Kamala should have been an inhuman it just felt like they were like well we need to make more inhumans so we'll make kamala one yeah but it seems like from the trailer that she is going to get her powers from her gauntlet bracelet thing which she just wears in the books it doesn't actually have any powers so i'm interested to see how they do that but i mean at this point i trust the mcu to do it okay you know yeah it's my understanding that like you know it seems like her popularity is more to do with her personality and not so much the exact power set. Although there's mm-hmm. something very iconic about that when she embiggens her fists, the, yeah. just that iconic shot. And they keep that even because like, I mean, even though it's like some like purple crystalline construction or something, she still just has as long it, as it's not fist. a dang infinity stone. That's all I care about. I do not want her getting her powers from the infinity stones. We finished the infinity saga. I want them out of my life. And I thought they were. And then they showed up in Loki again. The reason they showed up in Loki is because he had one. And then they immediately dealt with it by saying, oh, they don't even work here. That that's to me wasn't them bringing back the Infinity Good. Stones. That was them saying, no, the Infinity Stones are worthless now. Good, because, yeah, that's how I kind of took it, too. But I'm always afraid they're going to just end up leaning back on the Infinity Stones. But we spent so much time with them when there's so many more interesting things going on in Marvel. <laughs> we're in the multiverse saga now. I don't think we're I doing know. more I just I just rewatched uh, too many Spider-Men <laughs> yesterday. <laughs> And um, I am so ready for Doctor Strange. Like, that movie sets up Doctor Strange so well. I'm so ready. But anyway, Kamala, I am... You know, I've been reading her books forever now. I'm really ready for this. I've been really nervous. I've been afraid she'd just be some bit character in like a Ms. Marvel movie instead of like getting her own thing. But she's definitely getting her own thing because they skipped Ms. Marvel for Carol altogether, Mm -hmm. which I think will be interesting to see what happens with this show, because like in the first issue of Ms. Marvel, she gets hit with the Terrigen gas and she gets her shape shifting powers. And she every time she has to fight crime for that first uh, issue, she turns into Carol Danvers like she shapeshifts right. into looking like Carol Danvers. And so Carol comes and finds her in that first issue and they link up immediately. So all this backstory where she's running around and nobody knows who she is and stuff is I'm interested to see how that goes, because her two closest allies 
are Tony, who is dead now. So they've taken that away from Kamala and Carol. And so I'm curious to see if they keep her like, you know, doing the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man thing when really she became an Avenger pretty quickly because she hooked up with them pretty quickly. Well, I'm pretty sure I don't know if it's been confirmed that Brie Larson's going to be in the show, but I'm pretty sure she's going to make at least she's got to be right. Yeah, at least in like the last episode. Um, And even though she doesn't have her shape shifting powers, like a a lot of the trailer shows her running around in a Halloween costume version Mm, of Carol's Carol. So they're still keeping that. And I'm also curious to see like Captain Marvel really hasn't been in a lot of the MCU yet. And like, they just kind of. Like, the first time we actually heard her name, Captain Marvel, was in uh, Spider-Man Far From Home. Like, they just said it like, oh, she was Captain Marvel all the time, even though she was never actually called that in the films. Right. And and I have to assume it was something that happened during the five years of the blip. Like, she probably came around Earth more than once. And so that's where, like, you know, she's popular. That's why uh, Kamala Khan is, like, you know, a fan of hers. Yeah, she's got to have. can't just be showing up to beat up Thanos. It's got to be more than that. It's got to be. Otherwise, no one would know who she was. There wouldn't be MCU books, or, I'm sorry, Marvel books of her. Because, you know, that's one of the more interesting things about the Marvel comic book universe is that that movies and comic books and the characters being characters exist in the comic books. And so, yes, just like Gwenpool, Kamala is a huge comic book nerd, and her favorite character is Carol, and that's how she ends up becoming Ms. Marvel is because Carol has already graduated to Captain at that point. So. See, that's interesting, too, because we're uh, going to be getting She-Hulk uh, as a series sometime soon here. And She-Hulk is one of the other characters in the Marvel comics who has fourth wall awareness. Mm. Um, in fact, because she's a she's a lawyer and she often will, you know, uh, work cases involving superheroics. She will actually go to like comic book stores to study case law. <laughs> Interesting. I haven't read any She-Hulk. Yeah, okay, She could just pull up old issues of Marvel to be like, okay, so in in Captain America Volume 2, Issue 200 or whatever, this happened or something like that. And (laughs) uses that as case law. That's so funny, yeah. I've been wanting to read some of hers before her show comes. Hers is a show, not a movie, right? It's a show, yeah. Yeah, okay, yeah. That's interesting to know. But yes, like, so... Kamala was a huge Marvel fan, Cap- Ms. Marvel, Captain Marvel fan, and so she, that's why she ends up taking on the moniker in the books. So I'm really excited to see how it goes, and I'm really excited to see another, like, kind of high school-based Marvel project, too, because they've been milking it with Peter Parker, but he's obviously a 25-year-old man now. Like, well, I was also, watching... Well, like, done with, with high school. He was, like, taking his GED at the end of, uh, yeah. of the latest Spider-Man, so, yeah. Yeah, I'm just glad we're done with that because he's way too old to keep being in high school. But I mean, that, he does have a pretty young look to him, but yeah. He does, yeah. So I think with that, we're ready for the Royale. Yep, let's it, get into it. It is the 12th episode of the second season of The Next Generation. It aired on the 27th of March, 1989. It was written by Keith Mills and directed by Cliff Bowl. Okay, uh, you used to run a publishing company, a small print, right? I did, yes. Okay, uh, what's the worst book in your slush pile that you ever had to deal with. (laughs) I call it sheep sex. Um, It was (laughs) literally this book that I could barely get through. Like I didn't, and I ended up, they, I ended up like offering to help them edit it, but I ended up, it was, they didn't want to take any editing advice, but like it was really bad. And it was from the perspective of sheep and they kept having sex scenes in it. And so that is apparently the book that I would get stuck in. (laughs) (laughs) 
But I mean, that was really relatable, right? Like, I'd rather die than be stuck in this bad book for the rest of my life right. or for the rest of forever. You know? So the Enterprise uh, it, uh, discovers there's like some debris orbiting a planet that has uh, impossible stats. Jordy was actually like listing off like the how old the planet is and like the temperature on the surface. And he said the temperature was like minus 291 degrees Celsius, which is below absolute zero. <laughs> which is impossible you can't go below absolute zero okay i was not tracking any of this what during that part i was like that's a lot of truck no babble or whatever you know i was like okay i don't really pay attention when they're rambling like that the age of the planet they gave and like they did it in like scientific notation but if you calculate it out it's like 72 billion years and the universe is only 13.5 billion years old <laughs> so whoever wrote that track no babble did not did not check the numbers on but that the one. ammonia tornadoes that were did jordy a big concern <laughs> yeah sure that can happen but uh, anyway uh they uh beam up some of the debris and they get they discovered that uh it was an old nasa ship and it actually uses uh interestingly the nasa logo that they use for this was retired in 1992 but as they established this ship must have been anywhere between 2034 and 2079 because it's got a 52 star uh u.s flag on it right yeah so you would think well huh, that's unfortunate that the nasa logo changed except that they changed it back to that like two years ago oh. so we're actually still good we're good continuity error, error fixed yeah <laughs> but the fact that the 52 star flag is how they decided okay so it's between 2034 and 2079 means that we've got about 12 years before D.C. and Puerto Rico become states. Yeah, that's I was trying to figure out who those two would be as well. And those and are I the thought, most likely candidates because D.C. has voted that they want to become a state. So it's, you know, that's and I was over here trying to think about what states split down the middle. That's what I was doing. I was like, <laughs> so did Texas split in half? Like, no, we're getting like, Northeast Dakota. Northeast Dakota. <laughs> <laughs> Just a little corner. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so first off, I was really thrown, like, really excited and thrown off because I thought it was going to be an Alice in Wonderland episode. Okay. Because um, they're talking right after all of that and the ammonia um, tornadoes and everything. And then um, Riker comes in and Picard has the worst laptop I've ever seen. And he shows him the and he's talking about like a fake mathematician. And then data no, comes in. he's not talking about a fake mathematician. He's talking about Fermat's last theorem, which is a very famous um, unproven theorem. Uh, at the time of the writing of the show, uh, it was uh, and he, he gave like but the they, I thought they said that he only died like 70 years ago. He said something no, like for 70 years now we. Oh, OK. I see. I, I thought we were talking about a fake mathematician. <laughs> no, they're talking about a real one. Fermat's last theorem uh, at the time of the episode. It the, the, the theorem was still unproven. But is it pro proven is, now? It was proven in 1994, so it's a oh. little, yeah, if <laughs> they just waited a couple more years, the, so, um, and I think even Deep Space Nine, like, has has a line where, like, uh, one of the characters is like, well, I'm trying to find a, 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 a simpler theorem for, uh, for Fermat's Last Theorem or something to, to imply that even though, because the proof that we've got for Fermat's Last Theorem is, like, a book Thick. Oh, okay. And in his notes, he said, I have a proof, but it just can't fit in the margins 
of, of this uh, thing. So that's I can't fit in the margins <laughs> of my notebook is a little different than 400 pages of proof. It is true. Yeah. <laughs> um, OK, so they're like talking, though, and and what Picard says is curiouser and curiouser. And mm-hmm. that's obviously Alice. And e- they even brought like awareness to it because Data looked over at him like, what is that thing he just said? Right. And so I was like, all right, it's an Alice in Wonderland episode. And, you know, I don't think I brought this up on the podcast, but I'm as much into Alice as I am to 2001, pretty much. I was at your wedding. It was Alice in Wonderland themed. I remember. (laughs) Yep. yep. (laughs) I hadn't. I don't think I'd watched 2001 yet. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So originally, I thought this was going to be an Alice in Wonderland episode because of that, like, nod. And I was super excited. And then and they go through the magical revolving door in the void and they are in a hotel. And my first thought was The Shining. I know I'm very one tracked <laughs> mind, but my first thought was The Shining. And then my second thought was, oh, no, it's actually 2001, which is proven later when they get into the guy's quarters and his journal says, basically, I hope a human reads this. They brought me here and they I think they didn't mean to kill us all. So they put me in what they thought would be an interesting like way to live out the rest of my life, which is in this hotel, which turns out to be the world's worst mo- novel. Right. Probably a right. Stuart Woods novel. Uh-huh. Um, and so <laughs> and so all of that, though, is so 2001. And I even sent you the YouTube of the end of 2001 so that you could see it, because mm-hmm. at the end of the movie, he has he's turned off how he's man versus environment. He's man versus machine. He's man versus everything. And he's defeated everything. So now he is ready to enter the monolith. And he it says beyond the infinite on the screen. And then we go through like a five minute cycle psychedelic thing while and and, and none of this is explained this is all just my own theories (laughs) but what's happening in that psychedelic thing is that aliens are downloading the whole history of knowledge into his brain and so when he gets to what most people refer to as the hotel room he is kind of still having a seizure from that information download and he's in his um, pod and he looks out and he sees a version of himself in the red spacesuit looking back at him. But when it goes in close on his eyes, he's much older than the Dave we know. And then it keeps skipping forward. Every time Dave sees himself, he gets older until he becomes an old man and then he becomes a space baby. But um, (laughs) the point of all of this is, to me, my theories behind 2001, which I have not really tested them against the Internet because I don't want other people's opinions, (laughs) is that... um, The aliens brought him there. They put him through these tests. He went through the tests and he succeeded. And now he has but they don't want to kill him because for him to go to the next part of his evolution to bring humanity to the next part of our evolution. So we all become these, uh, you know, higher beings. He has to evolve, but they don't want to kill him. So they put him in this hotel room until he grows, you know, older and older. And each time he skips forward in time and then he's reincarnated as a space baby. And so for me, when I read when they read the part about how he was brought there and they thought that maybe he thought maybe the aliens thought this would make him comfortable and all this kind of stuff. I was like, oh, man, that is exactly what I think the aliens are doing in 2001. They brought Dave here, but they're like, now that he's here, 
we are, you know, so cognizant we don't want to kill him that we're going to allow him to live out his life alone in what we perceive to be the fanciest hotel room that we can think of <laughs> as aliens with lit up floors. And so when they mm-hmm. got there to this hotel, that's what I thought. I thought, okay, this is this is what it is, and it turned out to be true. But it also ended up being worse than a Dixon Hill novel. <laughs> At one point, they were, like, shooting each other up, and, like, there was this big scene with, like, this Mickey D, Mickey D and his girlfriend, and I was like, okay, so somebody, like, wanted to make a love letter to 2001, but also wanted to make an episode of TNG. (laughs) So, anyway, I was just so excited. I know everything's a reference, but this one, to me, really felt like someone watched 2001 and was like, how can we take that concept and apply it to a Star Trek episode? That's possible. Um, I couldn't find anything in uh, the uh, the discussion of, of writing the episode from the writers, uh, uh, specifically referencing 2001. But it does sound like this episode used to have a better script, but like just... I think Gene wanted to pare down some of their more fantastical elements. And uh. the, the fact that they were they wanted to make it a little more like comedic and a little more uh, esoteric with like some, you know, weird shit going on. That's to me also sounds like, OK, they probably were doing a 2001 thing, but there's no direct reference. <laughs> Right. I have not Googled it yet. I was going to after we recorded to see if there was any other nerds out there like me that were like, hey, this is totally a 2001 thing. But I like I said, I like to record before I look up those things. Memory Alpha does make mention that this has a similar plot elements to 2001, but it doesn't make any ties. It doesn't say whether it was inspired by on purpose or, or not. OK, right. but at least, I mean, I don't think any of my other times have been like, oh, that's totally a 2001 reference. This one reference seems have made very in- this one seems like uh, of all of your 2001 ties, this one seems like the most. <laughs> yeah, I think I think you're on to something. OK, um, so um, but also uh, when they beam down before they enter the revolving door, they're just kind of in a black void. It's mm-hmm. like like it's just like they just shot in like a, a bare uh, um, studio warehouse with just like one set and, you know, uh, a lot of lights off except for certain spotlights and it actually reminded me there was like some uh, TOS episodes that kind of did that minimalism feel to it oh um, did it yeah I'm, I don't remember there was like one specific episode that kind of did that where there was just very minimal set pieces and when I first saw it I was just like oh are we going to get like a whole episode like that but then once they go through the door it's just like okay no they actually have a full hotel set I, I was uh, half expecting I'm like I'm, I'm like not fully remembering this episode are we just gonna see like you know craps tables just out in this void or whatnot but no, right. it was a full hotel it would have been kind of cool though right yeah uh-huh. <laughs> I, they were so confused by revolving doors I'm confused by revolving doors I don't blame them those things <laughs> are true. so annoying they- if I have a choice, like if there's one of the like, here's the revolving door, but over there is the normal person door, I will go through the normal person door. I have had, I have since I was a child had a very um, strong fear of revolving doors of getting trapped in them. <laughs> you know, the revolving doors that scare me the most are the one way revolving doors. Like when you're leaving, like a Woodland Park Zoo has them uh, where it's like the they've got the doors are just like um horizontal bars and then they pass through a little uh bar gate so like you can't go through the other way and i'm always terrified looking at that i'm like what if you get caught between the bars as they like go through each other (laughs) (laughs) i have weird fears as a kid but the revolving doors one was real getting stuck in the milk case at costco was a real one too i used to think because my mom used to make you know go in there and get the milk and it used to come in the box with the two 
one gallon you know things right. in it or whatever and then the door would hit me on the back and i was a very small like eight-year-old child trying to pull <laughs> this two gallon box of milk out and i always thought i was going to get trapped and die in the costco purchase. <laughs> <laughs> anyhow so they get down and they're confused by revolving doors and they walk in and they're like ah oh, we're at canto bite of course we're here <laughs> that's where we are <laughs> And I was like, oh, okay. But then they're like, well, nothing seems to be amiss here. And Data is basically like, uh, Riker, we got to go. Let's go, Riker. And he's like, guys, it is a vacation planet. Do not take this from me. (laughs) (laughs) So they hang out for a while. Um, There's the the hat guy and the girl. And they were boring and didn't really add anything to the casino. I thought the Um, hat guy was funny. Like, I mean, they're they're stock characters. They're very cliche. She's a dumb blonde who doesn't know how to gamble and is, you know, losing all of her money. And he's taking advantage of the situation. Like, oh, well, shut my mouth. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Data, actually, uh, when he gets to the uh, blackjack table, the way he cuts those cards with one hand. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if Brent Spiner himself did that because the it way was, they cut it <laughs> because it was a close up shot. And there's other times like that, that that was single hand card cutting technique is something that he does as a poker dealer in future episodes. But I can't remember if I ever saw Brent Spiner or like a wide shot of Brent Spiner doing it or whether it was just like a uh, close up with somebody else who actually can do that. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Hired, hired like, you know, uh, a card shark to, to, to do that trick. Yeah. It's a great trick though. It looks, it looks fantastic on screen. It does. And here's my big problem about that scene that they do rectify later with craps, but they don't rectify it in that scene because they act like blackjack. You, all you have to do is count cards and you'll know, but there is some luck or I believe that data calls it fortune to mm-hmm. um, blackjack. Blackjack's the game I play when I go to the, you know it's the one i right. know how to play <laughs> yeah there, there is some random chance there's some times where there it's you're just it's not winnable for you versus right. craps where it's the the roll of the die and you know data is uh, a far advanced machine who can make very precise i mean he even notices that the dice are weighted and crushes them in his hands to fix the weighting and it ha- yeah he's... but what is the science there because that really bothered me <laughs> I I don't know. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it's true, though. He just holds them in his hand real tight, and he's like, ah, they're no longer weighted improperly. <laughs> he probably just pushed in one side enough that it counterbalanced the weight. Oh, that's enough. true. But so, like, yeah, I can understand that he would be able to make the calculations of I got to throw it exactly like this, and I'll get the uh, I'll get sevens every time. But yeah, so they discover the like because they they um once they're in the hotel, they can't be beamed out, and they can't leave. They tried to go through the map magic revolving door and it just puts them back in yeah which is so funny because they just film it with them walking in and then walking back into the hotel <laughs> and, and it's just like okay so you guys just don't know how to use a revolving door <laughs> i know i had the same thought no i mean it's you know it, 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 it's understandable how they would chew it like that and obviously there was something like you know they could have done it in like um the the episode with Nagilam where you know going through the door you just see the bridge on the other side of the door as oh, well yeah, or something yeah. like that but this is a cheaper way to do it and funnier because there was a lot of humor in this episode like Worf with the telephone was super funny like I thought that was really funny the way he goes up to it and he's like looking at it and he's like yes <laughs> Like, I don't know. The whole thing was there is a female voice asking us if we would like room service. <laughs> Do they mean we want our room cleaned? I'm like, oh, my God, guys. 
<laughs> I just thought it was all so funny because, you know, Picard would have known all those things because he's dad or whatever. <laughs> yeah. And once they find the book, uh, they're able to, you know, tell the Enterprise, OK, it's all based on this book. And then so Picard just starts reading the, the novel so that he can see if he can find something because uh, they figure out that uh, characters can leave when they are uh, supposed to leave for the story. And so all they have to do is like become characters that are supposed to leave. And, and Picard's like, oh, yeah, well, there were some vaguely written characters called foreign investors who buy the hotel at the end for like twelve point five million dollars and then they leave. So if you guys can just, you know, make that much money at the craps table and be the foreign investors, uh, you should be able to walk out the door and then we can beam you up. And that's uh, <laughs> that's how they it's solve how the it goes. issue. Yeah, I mean, and Riker seems to be the only one that picked up what Picard was laying down as well, mm-hmm. because Worf and... Um, I guess this data, right, is down there. So Worf yeah. and Data are like, why are you giving away all this money? And it's he's like, because Picard told me that the foreign investors were very, I think they used... Generous. Generous, yeah, but the flamboyantly, that's what it was, flamboyantly yeah. generous, yeah. Yeah, they're just giving, car- <laughs> they're giving chips out to everyone who's like, buy, buy a round for the house and, you know, all that, all that fun stuff. Ruining Texas Day because, like, giving money to the girl means that he now can't rescue her with his money and then True. taking all of his money, yeah. Tex even like you know bets against Data. He's like, I don't think so. You've had like seventeen good rolls. You're 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 due for a bad one. And Data's like, I wouldn't I wouldn't do that. Then he goes and gets a seven. And he's like, Do you do that on purpose? And Data's like, I warned you not to vote against me. That's on you. <laughs> there was a little twinkle in Brett Spider's eye. Like I told oh, you, Data had so yeah. much fun playing craps too. Just like just the you know th- there's just that one shot that has actually been like used as a reaction gif of Data. Like, you know, uh, winding up and then rolling the die and then going, ooh, and then Riker, like, fist pumps. It's, <laughs> it is a classic shot. I didn't know that was used as a react gift. Oh, yeah. It, like, early days, like, mid-2000s, you know, before, before you know, reaction gifs were standard and, and, you know, you could just pull them up by searching them in uh, in your, your Twitter uh, comments. Right. <laughs> Brent Spiner obviously had a lot of fun in this episode. Single digits on each cube is not at all desirable was one of my favorite lines. I was <laughs> like, that's so funny because, like, that's the only thing I know about crabs. You don't want to roll snake. so the way that they solve the 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 thing by basically letting the story play out and then they're able to leave that actually is kind of this is like a a non-holodeck holodeck episode in that way because that is like it was gonna be a holodeck somehow like some spaceships like maybe even the one that blew up that they had all the debris from was gonna have had like a rudimentary holodeck on it Mm -hmm. and like somehow it created this whole thing you know but a lot of holodeck episodes they're like you know locked in they can't uh, uh open the door and the safety protocols are disengaged and they figure well the program is designed to conclude once we finish the story, so our best bet to get out of here is probably just to play out the program and finish the story. So that 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 gets used in a couple of holodeck episodes in the future. So this one kind of feels like a quasi holodeck episode. Yeah, it did to me too. I, I wrote, is it a holodeck malfunction at one point in my notes? Yeah. 
Um, I did, I did, I did laugh to myself when I when they kept referencing the manager as this guy we didn't know. The manager, I was like, is it going to be Kang the Conqueror? <laughs> like, who's who's the manager going to be? You know, and um, I just it ended up just being some you know noir guy that killed the bellboy or whatever. Um, was was the the fact that the hotel was called like Hotel Royale or whatever was that a James Bond reference as well? Because or is Casino Royale only be. a newer? I couldn't remember if there was an if Casino Royale was featured in the older James Bond's movies or not. Well, it was not a huge um, James Bond person. It wasn't an older movie, but it was the first James Bond novel written. So, oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. So it would be something they would know of. Oh, here I wrote yes. the, they, the when they found his diary. Uh, I got the exact date. It was July twenty third, twenty thirty seven. So that's oh, okay. when. So they said between thirty three and like seventy seven or something like that. But I wrote it down. So twenty. I gotta say, it's interesting how many like twenty first century NASA ships or just Earth spaceships end up in deep space, light years away from home. And they always seem so confused about it every single time. I have to imagine, and I've got Star Trek evidence to back me up here, I have to imagine there's probably a wormhole in orbit of the solar system, you know, just a little ways out, you know, like in the Oort cloud or something like that, that just, you know, and and it could be like stable at one end, so it's always in orbit of the solar system, but it'll spit people out willy-nilly. Right. The reason that I have have, uh, um, backing for this is that in... The first Star Trek movie, Star Trek The Motion Picture, which, as we all know, is a 2001 reference. Um, <laughs> there's a whole sequence where they go to warp, leaving Earth, and almost right away they get caught in a wormhole. And it was like this whole sequence where they're just like, oh, let's go to warp and let's do some cool special effects with it. And they get caught in a wormhole and they have to get out of it. And like if they did that right after leaving Earth, then obviously it's nearby. Well, so your my brain is trying to make things happen, but you'll know better than me because you know more about Star Trek. But isn't the time travel that happens in the 2009 Star Trek also like right around Saturn? Like, isn't it very close, like in our galaxy, that there's something that causes the time travel and then they emerge like over by Saturn? That was in the finale uh, of the movie. Um and like okay. they had opened up uh, a, uh, oh, they had opened okay. up one of those black holes there, but no, the the time travel happened elsewhere in the galaxy. Um, but using the using the red matter that creates the black holes. They, oh, that's they, right. They Thor, that is, Thor is uh, Thor's the dad. I forgot about that. I was like rerunning the movie in my head, but he wasn't even Thor at that point, was he? He wasn't. Yeah, that was like yeah, two thousand nine. <laughs> he wasn't Thor until like twenty eleven. So it was right before he became a bit major movie star. That's He's so only funny. in that movie for like five minutes. So I think we're ready now to go on to our next episode, which is Times Squared. It is the 13th episode of the second season, and it premiered on the 3rd of April, 1989. The teleplay was by Maurice Hurley. Story was by Kurt Michael Benzmiller, and it was directed by Joseph L. Scanlon. I'm not a huge fan of this episode, but I feel like we can get a lot of mileage out of the opening scene. Because I have Riker, a page and a half of notes <laughs> on the cold open. <laughs> because Riker is... a uh, making breakfast and he invites people over like i think it's uh jordy data wharf and pulaski and does he only invite pulaski because she brings the good alcohol because why was she there well did you notice <laughs> that the door tried to close on her like data and no. jordy walk right through and then the door closes right as she's about to come through and she I even did. like flinches <laughs> and then she goes back through but then the door tries to close again on wharf and then wharf comes through but it's funny because like i thought everyone else was like bringing something in and then wharf just walks in 
Like, yeah, he's just like, no, I'm, a present. Yeah. I'm just here to eat. <laughs> I'm just here to eat this food and make fun of it. Um, okay, so one of my favorite quotes, and I like want to put it on like a fancy background and then attribute it to Bill Riker, is flair is what makes the difference between artistry and, and mere confidence. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that is like one of those like cheesy inspirational quotes that when you think about it doesn't really make a lot of sense. You know? No, he didn't say confidence. He said competence. Oh, did he say competence? Okay. Competence, yes. I wrote it makes confidence. More sense with, okay. <laughs> no, it makes a little more sense with that. But yeah, so he says he's making omelets, but he's not making omelets. No, he, no. So yeah, he made some terrible looking scrambled egg thing yeah. because there was like, the, he didn't even like put any butter or oil or he something to not make the it pit. stick. Did you see yeah. half, of the, half of the egg was just still like caked onto the pan when he was serving it. I would not watch Cooking with Bill. I would not. Because, <laughs> like, he puts these eggs down, and then instead of, like, consistently mixing them, when he does mix them, he doesn't bother to, like, scrape the bottom of the pan either, so he leaves this layer yeah. of cooked egg on the bottom, and then I was just like, this isn't an omelet. Also, he had the worst whisk I've ever seen. It <laughs> only had one wire. It only had one wire. <laughs> My notes say, plot, number one, Riker makes omelets with the worst future risk I've ever seen. <laughs> because what is that? And then it was so bad. And then Worf was being sexist. What was that? It's 300 years in the future. They keep making weird sexist comments as if the world is still like very, you know, binary, like women this, men this. And it's weird. Klingon culture is a little more patriarchal than uh, human culture at this point, I think. And that's probably well, he what said he's... He, from my understanding, human women are the ones that usually prepare the food but it was just to, so that Riker could tell us his mom was dead that was the right. setup for it mm-hmm. but like dude it, like why would Worf even be saying that <laughs> I don't <know>. remember <laughs> Worf's a conservative he's probably just he's a conservative yeah, he's be- <laughs> so my notes say what in the f- is this abortion of an egg dish I cannot believe this episode can overcome the shadow of Riker's cooking <laughs> and it doesn't I think that Riker is probably very overconfident confident in his cooking abilities and he talks about oh yeah i always had to do the cooking it's like bitch no you didn't you had a replicator at home too right like everybody else (laughs) (laughs) and i I don't know it just feels like because of the replicator the cooking is probably a bit of a lost art and he just thinks that because he's able to put something on a stove and you know uh, uh scramble it himself is like ooh voila there see it's because if you order scrambled eggs from the replicator it's going to be the same every time and he's right and, and that that is actually a running theme in Star Trek is that you know and we talked about it with the with the klingon dish the pa yeah mm-hmm. yeah we talked about it with that but all of what you're saying is is kind of wiped away by the fact that at the beginning, Pulaski said, well, your cooking is so good, it requires all of us to come and bring you gifts or something like that. <laughs> I, like that she was explaining why she brought the alcohol. So the, the writing undid your theory for you. <laughs> well, here's uh, Riker does blame it on the quality of the eggs because they were alien eggs that he's never had before. And it could be that, but it could be that he's shit at making scrambled eggs, which is one of the easiest things <laughs> well, to make. He also shit is making omelets because he says he's making an omelet. (laughs) Also, he just like he plops some food in front of Data and says, these are these got a special ingredient or something. I'm like, how are this different? And does Data eat? That's what I want to know. Did did Dr. Soong give Data 
a fully functioning anus? Like, does he poop? <laughs> you've seen you've seen that movie with the with Haley Joel Osment as the robot, right? Where he no, starts. No, I haven't. Oh, okay. So there's the scene. Oh, yes, I have. Yes, yes, yes. AI. Yeah, like, sorry. Okay, so he's 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 a robot, and then but they have a real baby too, who's like at the hospital, and then he comes home from the hospital, and so the boy is eating, and Haley Joel Osment wants to be more human like, so he starts eating the spinach or whatever, and so then his eyeballs start falling out, and his skin melts off for some reason. Because he's like damaging, like like he's not designed to eat, so it was like damaging his servos or something like that. It was he, a traumatizing for scene yeah. for me. Yeah, I was like, that child is melting. <laughs> That's what it reminded me of. I thought Data was going to start melting. I, I, I assume Data can eat. I mean, we've seen him. Um, I don't know if we've seen him drink yet, but I do remember in Star Trek Generations when he's like first trying out his emotions chip, Guinan gives him a drink and he hates it and he enjoys the sensation of hate. So he asks for another one. So obviously he can. <laughs> ingest things i assume i don't know like we never see him plug in there's got to be some way for him to recharge his battery maybe he can extract uh, uh energy the from food. nutrients yeah. yeah well he's got to get the food out of him somehow too right right <laughs> so. so he has a fully functioning uh digestive system he poops i yeah. kind of want to know what a data poop looks like because i can't <laughs> I imagine don't. he's got I can't imagine he's got like a full like gut biome in there. I don't imagine. You mean he... yeah, like two miles of intestines or whatever. Well, or or, or just you know like a, a bacterial uh, uh, culture inside that does the the digesting. I have to imagine it would be something more mechanical extracting it. So it you know whatever comes out, I can't imagine it would look like a human turd. No, I don't think so either. Um, okay, so we kind of didn't talk about the plot because we were so con- we were so concerned about Riker's omelets, but. <laughs> Um, plus, omelets are an individual thing. You make one for yeah, one person. I don't know. I don't know why they like they could have just changed the line to scrambled egg. Anyway, it was the best part of the episode. So they <laughs> so they get in past the cold open and there is a space shuttle floating around in space and twirling on its side and stuff. And they're like, OK, let's go out and see what that is. And they, they pull it in because there's no Federation starships around. Right. Right. So why is this Federation ship out in the out in the world? And they right. pull it in and it says Enterprise like 1701 D. And I don't know my Enterprise as well enough. And I was like, what Enterprise is that? That's our Enterprise. <laughs> it's my Enterprise. OK. <laughs> OK. Got it. Um, and then because um, I know there's an episode coming up with Scotty, right? In like four seasons or something like that. Yeah. Oh, OK. So I knew at some point Scotty showed up. So I was like, is it going to be Scotty? You know, mm-hmm. um, and then it turns out to be Picard. And then they take Picard up to sick bay, and he's opposite Bizarro Picard. <laughs> and yeah, and we have to specify this is another Picard. Picard still is here. They have, and and they even like when they park the shuttle, they look and they see the identical shuttle next to it with the same because it's Shuttlecraft Five. Right, and then Riker hits his little doodad, and he's like, um. Jean-Luc, are you, he doesn't probably doesn't call him Jean-Luc. Picard, are you on the bridge? And he's like, he's like, where are you? He's like, oh, I'm on the bridge. He's like, I think you should be in Shuttle Bay, too. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, I feel like, 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 imagine it was you and me. And I found a, a car that had a copy of you maybe dead in it or passed out or something. I think I'd be like, let me explain what you're about to see. <laughs> I feel like just come down here and experience it isn't is a weird way to approach it right i don't know right but it's 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 more dramatic like it's phone calls in in movies are never realistic because nobody ever says goodbye before they hang up it's one of those things it's uh 
I, or, or like even in like police procedurals, they'll never explain on the phone where it is like, I think you should come down and take a look at this. And that, you know, because it's. Whereas in real life, we usually go, OK, so here's the thing. Like, yeah. I'm imagining my day to day life. Like, oh, hey, to, to like one of the counselors I work with, like, here's what happened. Here's the evidence. Now, if you need to go back it up, it's over there to go look at, you know, like. But it's weird the way in movies and TV boring. we're like, just come over here and experience it. <laughs> if we had realistic conversations in TV shows, they'd be more boring to watch. Oh, they would be so, so boring. So I'm I'm okay with that kind of dramatic license, uh, except I have one specific instance where I really hate the dramatic license, and it's when people are having a conversation in a car and the driver keeps their eye on the person they're talking to. Oh, it drives me insane. Nobody like you I look ahead because you don't that. have to make eye contact to talk to a person. <laughs> and those of us who drive cars know this. We don't have to make eye contact while we're talking <laughs> to the person. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm with you on that. That's so stupid. So I have a big question in my notes here that's kind of a tangent, but I'm mm-hmm. hoping that you'll know the answer because it's Star Trek related. Um, so I'm concerned or confused, I guess would be more the word about Riker's pips. Okay. Because Riker has three pips. Correct. Three three solid pips. Right. And Picard has four solid pips. Mm-hmm. So why doesn't Riker have three solid and one not solid? Wouldn't that make more sense? I don't know how Insignia works. Uh, so, okay. So one solid pip is Ensign. Mm-hmm. I, and I mean, I don't know how what they mean in, like, real military either. Like, I never know what they mean. Well, okay, right. So so uh, the um, Starfleet rank uses this same rank structure as uh, uh the US Navy. Okay. Um so uh officer ranks go ensign, lieutenant junior grade, lieutenant, uh lieutenant commander, commander, captain, then admiral. I think it's just ensign is one pip, lieutenant is uh two pips, commander is three pips, captain is four pips. But then because you've got Lieutenant Junior Grade and Lieutenant Commander, those are the in-between grades, and that's why they get the I, half that's pips. That's where you get the little half pip thing? Okay. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. And then I believe, if I understood what Pulaski was saying, she was basically saying she's the same rank as Riker, right? Cause she's yeah, a, she's com- a full she, commander. Right, that's what I thought. Okay. That that clears it up for me. I just was, because I was looking at the pips today, and because she was having that speech, you know, and I was looking at his, and he only has the three, and I would have assumed, if you had asked me how many pips does Riker have before I looked at it, I would have guessed three and a half. Like, three hmm. and then an unfilled one, just because I know that Picard is four, you know? And he's number two. While we're talking about pips, um, uh, O'Brien has two pips, and... That's oh. weird because he's not an officer. He is uh, he's an enlisted man. And I think mm-hmm. it's that might just not be established yet. So they they never say his rank and he's always like the chief uh, uh, transport op- uh, officer. And so but that's like a position, not not a rank, just like how Jordy is chief engineer. But his rank isn't chief. His rank is lieutenant. Right. That makes sense. OK. So I think they just hadn't established yet that uh, O'Brien's rank was chief petty officer. Which okay. is, um, you know, it says officer in it, but that's an enlisted rank. It's one of the higher ones. Um, so I think they just, yeah, that's why he's got two pips. Like he's a lieutenant. Right. Okay. That makes sense. So they find them. And then, you know, Picard does the whole, ooh, boy, look, it's me kind of thing, you mm-hmm. know. And and then they come to realize that Picard, two, doesn't know Picard, one is Picard. Like he's, he, he doesn't really know anything. Like it, it's like he he's... 
they try to like wake him up and he's only like dimly aware of his surroundings like his brain isn't functioning properly. I think Deanna said it was like he was looking at us across a great chasm which was a yeah. good way to describe it and so then even like um, well the first time they try and wake him up it almost kills him because she's like no the sedative had the opposite effect and like the shuttlecraft mm-hmm. is experiencing similar things because they're like well it's power source apparently isn't compatible with ours and they had to like change the phase variance of the energy as they're like putting it through and then the data's like oh you need to increase it by two percent and they do that and it shuts it off and data's like hmm increase it by minus two percent and yeah. then they do that and then it works as like well that's counterintuitive but it seems to work and it's because and they like, referred to it as a morbius loop right that's what caused it to do the backwards thing because it can like twist in on itself Worf talked about a mobius loop as a potential um, oh mobius not morbius morbius is that vampire guy yeah no mobius <laughs> a mobius strip is it's like that piece of paper that you flip over once and then tape it on itself so that it right. only has one side and it loops back forever right so I think uh, Worf was talking about that as like a hypothetical time travel situation in which you are stuck forever on that loop and um this shuttlecraft is only from like six hours in the future, which they find out once they've got the the uh, shuttle powered on and they check right. its uh, internal clock. So they're like, okay, well, whatever happened, and like they pull logs and they discover that you know Picard uh, um, took the shuttle out of the Enterprise, and then the Enterprise explodes in like some like space uh, tornado, and um, they're like, <laughs> well, we've got to figure out what it is that we do to avoid this situation. But as they get closer to it, eventually. The other Picard wakes up and they're like, well, we, we need to talk. What, what were your other options? And Picard, but this other Picard seems like he's like locked in to this course of events. Like he's he, repeating, like he's not even like, I wondered if it was supposed to be that he doesn't even really have like full control. Like he's just because he's going to have to repeat the motions right. that he did before. He's yeah. like an, an echo and, and an echo. That's a good way to put main it. Picard. Just the entire episode is just he's not having it with this other Picard. He's like, I don't care what I see. That may look like me, but there's nothing in him that resembles me. Well, and he got mad when Deanna was so like mad. that. That's you. It's you. I can tell it's you. He's like, no. <laughs> yeah. And at the end, they actually do a lot of really, really good um, split screen stuff and like him having a conversation with himself while they're walking through a hallway and mm-hmm. a lot a lot of good compositing work and a lot of good timing work because, you know, you have to think, OK, so for this time they had a stand and go there and Riker uh, or sorry, not Riker and Picard is, you know, saying the lines and then having to wait. And they probably had the stand in might have read the lines, too, but they had to get the timing really right and had to make sure that the the, the eyesight as they're like looking at each other lines up like the stand in has mm-hmm. to make the exact same motions that uh, Patrick Stewart does. Uh, there was a lot of technical uh, stuff that that uh, I thought was good, which makes one moment look really bad in comparison. And it's when they first find the other Picard in the shuttle bay and they put him on a stretcher and then they wheel him out of there and mm-hmm. they wait until he is fully wheeled out of the uh, uh the shuttle bay and the doors close and then Deanna walks into frame and then the other Picard walks into frame as well. Oh and, yes, I did catch that actually. So they could do a continuous shot or whatever. Yeah. Right. But because they wait until the doors close, you're like, okay, well there's the obvious cut. And I'm just thinking, 
no have deanna walk into frame as they're carting him out and then yeah. just do a split screen so that patrick stewart can walk in on the other side and talk to him it, that would have been much more seamless and like the pacing feels a little off because of that shot and i was just like that was an easy fix you could have just and it was obvious it felt so weird and obvious because of the way that deanna walks into frame as yeah. soon as the door shut yeah yeah, yeah. uh picard eventually f- figures out from the other Picard, because the other Picard's like, no, we can't go through it. It'll destroy us. We must do this thing. And so uh, our Picard is just like, OK, well, that's what I'm going to do then. And then he goes and kills the other guy. <laughs> he just like grabs a, grabs a phaser. And he just, no, I he know. doesn't stun him. He, 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 use, he sets it on kill. He just goes, psh, he just blows him away. Which like, I I, is, is that suicide or murder? Which one is it? <laughs> no, my husband was sitting right there and he walked in the room right at that moment because he hadn't been here for me watching the entire episode. He's like, is he? And he goes, is that what they mean when they see murder suicide? <laughs> I was like, I don't know. I thought he had put it on stun. I couldn't believe he killed no, he him. he killed I, him. Yeah. I, I would have stunned him just, you know, because, like, I don't know, maybe you, there's more information, like, as, especially if you, when you try to fly through the thing, if that doesn't work, you well, might need I to wake him up again. I thought that was going to end up being our Picard in the end because, like, time would catch up and right. that would be our Picard. And so right. when, when our Picard was being so rude to that Picard, I was like, this is so weird. But anyway... <laughs> So Picard is like, okay, no, like, just punch it. We'll go through the anomaly instead of trying to get out of it because the anomaly is like sucking them in and they've been trying to warp out. I think out, you mean the Doctor Who time vortex. It yeah, looked exactly it like the thing that Doctor Who travels through with his TARDIS. Anyway, once they go through, they clear the anomaly. Everything's fine. They're back on course to wherever they were. And uh, the other Picard and the other shuttlecraft vanish as if they never existed. Because no body, no crime. <laughs> no body, no, no crime. And also because the timeline in which the Enterprise blew up and that Picard went and flung off that no Doesn't longer exist. exists. So he has so to vanish. So are paradoxes not really a thing in Star Trek then? Because like they just spend the whole time like being in the same room as each other and stuff like other time travel shows would be like, oh, my God, don't touch each other. <laughs> you know? Did you ever read the comic uh, strip Calvin and Hobbes? I mean, I've read it, you know, here and there throughout my life. Do you remember the game that they would play called Kelvin Ball? It sounds familiar. The rules of Calvin Ball are you have to make up the rules as you go along and you can never play it the same way twice. (laughs) Star Trek operates on Calvin Ball rules of time travel. Mm. Every single time travel story in Star Trek operates on completely different rules. Uh, You know, whether it's like, oh, well, can we remember what happened with the changes in the timeline or does it branch (laughs) off to a new timeline or are we locked into, you know, a, 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 a grandfather paradox loop where, you know, this always happened because it was always going to happen. It doesn't matter. It's all inconsistent and it all depends on the writer and what they want to accomplish in that episode. So there's new hard and fast rules. There's to time no travel. hard and fast <laughs> rules to time travel in Star Trek. And the harder you try to make it all fit, the uh, the more you are going to uh, exacerbate whatever migraine symptoms you have. <laughs> Okay, so my two favorite moments of the episode, like for like joke reasons, are Picard's bridge roll was really bad. Did you catch it? I did like, not. So they it, he's standing up in the front for it instead of like sitting, and then everybody's in the background. But because it's it's like kind of like the camera's almost down on the floor, so you can see his whole body kind of thing, you know. 
Mm-hmm. And when he does the bridge roll twice because they they're going down into the the time tunnel or whatever, all he does really is that he holds his shoulder down and he drops his one knee and it almost looks like he's dancing. Like I think if you put it to music, it would look like he was like doing some terrible white guy dance, you know. <laughs> and, and then my other favorite one was when he says staff meeting in five minutes because that is a Michael Scott from the office line that he says all the time. He'll be like conference room five minutes. <laughs> like, and so and when he said it, I like had to take a picture of it and go find a gif where Michael Scott was saying that and send it to people because I couldn't stop laughing because it was so funny to me. But I was like, oop, car just pulled, just called a Mike Scott conference room meeting. <laughs> Listen, this is a time travel episode, so this very well could have been an office reference. <laughs> See, I didn't try to claim it was an office <laughs> reference this time. <laughs> they brought up the traveler. I I had that in my notes, too, and it made no sense because they talked about how the Traveler was one of the the beings that can travel through time. But he never traveled through time in his episode. I didn't he traveled think through so. space. I he know. took them to like the edge of of reality where thought and, and reality became intertwined and like. You know, they were That's so far true, away. They were like, yeah. any star date is meaningless because they were so far away. They're like, well, we c- couldn't even, you know, with uh, time dilation and all that. We don't know what what time it could potentially be back on Earth. So <laughs> I guess from that perspective, maybe. But it wasn't like he was jumping back and forward through time. He was just to the edge of space. Di- yeah. yeah, he was going far distances. So that felt weird. Like they didn't really remember that episode when they were referencing it. When they were like, oh, yeah, the traveler, because when they said it at first, I was like, oh, yeah, the traveler traveling through time. And then now that you're saying that, I'm like, wait a minute, you're right. He didn't travel through time. (laughs) It does take 29 minutes and 31 seconds for Picard to go. Oh, wait, wait, wait. What caused the time loop? Yeah. I wrote down the time because I was like, oh, finally, someone has asked the wait, what caused this problem rather than what is this problem? You know, Um, but I don't know. I just didn't like this one, but not for a lot of the reasons that I didn't like other ones. Like, it's not because it's like bad. It's just not an interesting story, you know? And again, this is Calvin Ball rules, but we never see a character uh, time travel and then suddenly their their like mind is out of sync with with uh, with time until they reach their original time again that never happens again that's only yeah. in this episode and it's weird and the talking backwards thing yeah or the going backwards thing i mean right because if picard is like out of phase with his time it shouldn't fix itself once the, he goes back to the original time. Because he's still that he's six from. hours ahead. Because he's still six hours ahead. He should always be six hours out of phase. The only fix to that would be jumping forward in time six hours. Right. right? And they have no, They don't have the technology to do that. Well, I, they do when they don't. Um, start, <laughs> uh, uh, time travel technology in Star Trek is varied, and uh, whether it's possible or whether it's an easy trip to the past or whether it's something that you have to have like uh, a Spock to calculate on the fly as you're doing a warp slingshot around a star, it depends. Because Calvin Ball, exactly. Because Calvin Ball. <laughs> well, I think that's it. Thanks for joining us today. I'm Ari. And I'm Gayfesh. And until next time... Live long and prosper. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed it, don't forget to subscribe and consider writing a review in your podcast service. We're on Twitter at Rest Both Worlds. Join our Patreon at patreon.com slash worlds for bonus content and hear your name at the end of each episode.